It's good to get away, I'll tell you that. Um, but So here I had this message, so I was studying it out and trying to figure out what I was gonna, how I was going to put it all together because uh, I got caught up with something. And so the message was going to be on uh, Jesus and the donkey. And, and I thought, for some reason, it didn't register to me that this is Easter type thing. So I started putting it all together and, you know, spent some time on it, going over and got it. Remember, I had it in my heart, and it was like on Friday, it was on Friday that I was going through it again, trying to refresh my mind on it and was excited about it. And uh, then uh, I woke up on Saturday I was studying my message again, just trying to get, a, if I can get a vision of what I'm teaching, then I'm good. If I don't get that vision, then it's not so good. And so, um, so I woke up, and I, I was excited. I was like I was free on Saturday, which I don't get a lot of time off for just to be free, meaning that I, I don't have to study. And so I was all excited about that, and I was working on it, and I started, I was thinking about the donkeys. So then I went... And I got information, I pulled it off the internet on donkeys, and I was trying to study their nature, you know, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, and I'm trying to symbolize all this and figure it out. And I, got, I was working through it, and I just, all of a sudden it hit me, what has this to do with Easter? <laughs> and I got to thinking about that, so it's not going to be about Jesus and the donkey, okay? So I'll save any fear on that. I did study it, I can tell you a lot about donkeys, but they're and. and Parallel it with things. I, I never knew this stuff about donkeys, but hopefully I'll get around to it. Uh, let's open up, open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 23. And we understand the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. We don't often just stop and think about some of the things that transpired with him. We, we know that he was crucified, died, uh, and he went into hell, and then he was risen to heaven again. And so we kind of understand that and the suffering of it. And yes, the suffering was beyond a measure of any kind that humanity's ever, ever dealt with. And I think the honest thing that maybe for Jesus, I don't know his capacity, whether how, at what level of love Jesus could, could walk in as a, a, a man and God at the same time. But I can really see that there are times where we do really struggle and uh, I was thinking about Gethsemane and how Jesus went back and forth uh, two, three times, third time. And I'm thinking he, now he's at that point where he knew he was going to die. He knew his mission, and he knew that his, he was going to die, and he knew that you know, things are going to get really rough. And so I, I was trying to figure that out in my own heart, how, how, I would, how, how I'd approach that. And then I also thought, I think my first message I had when I was working on was something about, what about your heart? And that was the, that was the first. Then I went to the, to the, end up with the donkey thing, and this is finally the third thing. But I got to thinking about the heart of Jesus. And with humanity, on the human side of it, when he was in Gethsemane and he was praying, getting ready for the, for the torture and the, being hung on the cross and all that, that he had to give had to be given some type of emotion towards that. Just because he has God in the inside did not mean that he was just simply God and knew everything. At that point in time, he really he knew what the ultimate purpose of God was, but in his own heart, he was not ready to do it. And I knew that there's times like in my life that I've been through that a lot. 
have to check the condition of my heart. And I'm talking about something I never planned on. But anyhow, so, um, so when he was there in his humanity, that had to be a real heavy thing to think about because he was at a point where he was with humanity and he loved everybody that he was with. And he knew that he was going to give his life. And I think there are times in our own lives where we know that God has a plan, but we don't necessarily want to do it because it's like, you know, a problem with, gee, I'm going to be busy. I want to do this. But at that particular point in time, Jesus had to deal with it. And he went up and prayed the first time, and basically it was, Father, uh, thy, it, it, here's what I want. I, like, I love where I'm at. I love where, where this earth you've created. I, you know, there's things he probably didn't. But in his humanity, he, he, he just said, God, I, I don't think I'm ready. And then he went back. And I think when he was walking back was when the process, have you ever had God tell you to do something, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't want to do it. Then the next thing you know, you're walking, walking it back. And, okay, God, I shouldn't have said that. I, I, I better go back and pray again. So he went back, and he prayed again. And he got to the point, well, I'm not quite ready to do it. Maybe possibly there could be a timeline on this. Maybe I could prepare myself for this whole scenario. And, of course, that didn't work. He walked back, and, and then he came back again. And he came back in the third time, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the Spirit-filled man of God who is walking in humanity. And he had to say, thy will be done, Father. And I think that's the part that a lot of us don't ever quite get to. We don't get to that part. We get to go to the first, first part. Lord, I, I, I really would rather not do that. The second part, well, I know I'm struggling. I probably should. The third part. God, thy will be done. And I don't think a lot of people get to that part. I think they, they come to the first part. A lot of people, I prayed about it. Yeah, I'm not ready to go yet. I'm not going to do what God's told me to do. And then they walk off and wonder why nothing really happens with their life. And then you have the second person that comes. And that second person comes, or the same person, and, and he'll, he'll, maybe not the same person, but he'll, he'll come and he'll pray that prayer. And then he'll have the Holy Spirit kind of saying, what are you doing? And then suddenly he says, well, maybe I'll go back and pray, and maybe God will give me more power or something. And he goes back, and he prays, and he says, well, another time, God, I'll, I'll, be, I'll do it. I've done that times where I say, well, God, like in the mission field in, in to Cuba and stuff, I say, well, God, I'll, I'll do that the next trip. I don't necessarily want to go now. And then I'll walk away, feel good for about half a second, and realize that, God, i gotta come. I got to do what you tell me to do if I'm going to be blessed the way you want to bless me. I can't just go say, pray, okay, God, I understand it, but I'm not busy right now. So that'll be part of my vision and walk off. You have to come to the place where you have to be committed to what God tells you to do. And it's never something you want to do. It's always something he wants you to do. And we begin to live like that. We live our, our, our convenient life at the point that, well, I'll do what I want. I'll do that later. Or, okay, I, I, I don't think that's for me. But there has to come a time in our own hearts when we know that God's working with our hearts that we know we messed up our life. We're doing our own thing. And we begin to deal with that. And God brings that, 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 that spirit of conviction like, don't you know who you are? Don't you know that I'll do this? Don't you know that I'll take, these higher, take you to higher levels? Don't you understand that it may be difficult? Well, that's the part that, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait can we go back up. 
you know, what's, what's the prize on this? The prize is, is a resurrected life. One where you're resurrected and have died to yourself and become available for me, says God. And then he'll move forward in our lives. And we start relinquishing ourselves. Paul said, I die to, I die to, to, to God, uh, you know, every day of my life. That means we willingly give up who we are. And we say, Father, thy will be done. And then progressively through our life, we begin to say yes to what God wants and no to what we don't want, or what we want. And we begin to find the blessings of God. And the blessings of God aren't, aren't always given to us in dollar amounts or what's your bank account. It actually, it takes us into the kingdom of God. Now, he'll provide for all we need. And the greater the vision, of course, God provides for the greater vision. But when he begins to move and we start to live like that, we progressively have to die to ourselves, our way, our will, our words, and begin to live for what, what he has for us. And it does hurt. There's a pen, penalty. And the penalty is we die to our own selfish ways, our own attitudes, our own thoughts, our own wills, and we begin to say, God, thy will be done. And so when you begin to understand the plan that God has for you, and you begin and you see the vision. Most visions for me, uh, uh, Penny and I, our life was high, and then the minute that God came into our life, we went kaboom, all the way to the bottom and didn't even bounce. It was just bang. You know, in the military, you're taught to tuck and roll where it won't hurt so much. <laughs> but just bam, you know, there it was. Uh, and we didn't know what God was, but we were committed that either God is who he says he is or the greatest joke perpetrated on mankind. And the reason I had to have the answer is I knew that I had to know what lied beyond life itself into eternity. I had a wife. I had two beautiful daughters. I still do. And so life is, I've done well. Uh, but so uh, I've got even grandkids that are beautiful. I mean, it's wonderful. But anyhow, um, what I had to feel, I, I felt like God had put upon my life the responsibility for eternity for my family and my children and grandchildren that I had to know. And no matter how much I walked away from, it didn't matter. No matter how much finance I walked away, I knew that God was bigger than that. I have to know the truth. Willing to lose everything? We've lost everything. We lost everything for about two and a half years. I mean, it was just always studying the Bible, just getting by, living miracle by miracle, seeing what God could do. Could I have gone back into the world and made a better provision? Oh, yeah, I could, I could go shine shoes and make uh, more money than I was making uh, in, in ministry, but I don't ever tell people that. But anyhow, so, uh, so it wasn't the effect of ministry, and it wasn't money. Money has, has when I was young and lost, money was major in my life. I had the best of the best of the best. And when I got saved, nothing, money meant nothing to me, which sounds crazy. And so it still doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It's a tool that God gives me to do with as he tells me to do. And then he brings the blessings back into my life. It's crazy. And it, I mean, with this church and the virus we've gone through, I mean, you take this church and average out the attendance before, after this virus, and you'll wonder, how in the world does this church even exist? You know, we've got expenses, building payments, 
and we're still here. How did that happen? It was a miracle of God. It still is a miracle of God. And so we see it time and time again. And that's why we even put out our P&Ls. So people look at the P&Ls and go over and see what we're doing on our money. And that helps people. But I tell you what, it really kind of makes some people want to go in the ministry think twice. <laughs> how, how, how can you do that? It's a miracle of God how we do that. Doesn't that affect you? Doesn't affect me at all. Does it financially put me behind? Not at all. Because finances means nothing to me. The will of God, the purpose of God, the calling of God means everything to me. So you begin to live your life. We do exactly what you want because this is what you love. And it doesn't matter. And God gets you by. So I think the hard part is, is when we first come into the kingdom and we're hooked up with God, and he starts to move on us, we start considering the amount of cost that it's going to cost us to do what God's called us to do. We start, wait a minute, I can't afford to do that. Well, I can go back, if my thoughts were early on, I can go back into the world and make money if money was my goal, but money wasn't my goal. The kingdom of God was my goal, to know him and experience him and to see that he is truth. And when we begin to understand that, eternity is about the very purpose of God in our life because eternity is permanent. It's everlasting. This life is temporal. And God in this life and the life to come has promised to provide for us eternally and we lay up treasure in this world. And so the blessing of all of that is that the demonstration that God gave us, the reality of God, of Jesus coming into the world, and be willing to give up his life for the world was a very revelationary thing to me to even begin to understand. I didn't understand how God could do stuff like that. I didn't even know that God would even care about things like that. And so when we get a hold of it, we start realizing that we have to die like Paul died so that in eternity we have given up our life for eternal life an eternal reward. Now, we're blessed in this life. I'm, there's no way people can live the way I do and be blessed the way I do. And, and that's, that's with nothing in the bank. No, I, nothing. I mean, hardly ever, ever. I don't think we have very much money at all ever. We have no IRA. We don't really get paid. We, have a, we get expenses for our housing and car and cell phone. But it's amazing. You live a victorious life because you're focused on the will of God, and you're not focused on, well, how, how can I afford anything? Well, maybe you can't afford it because it's not time to buy it. You know, there's a lot of things like that begin to happen. And then you break through that cycle, and you begin to live, but you have no concept how to live. You know, we, our, our checkbooks are just crazy. I mean, one day we're, you know, we're what, five or $6,000 upside down, and the next day everything's clear, and you wonder, how in the world? We know, it, I mean, it just shows up. That's the way we live. But what happens is you can't focus on your fears or your future or the, what you're doing. You begin to live within the lifestyle that God has provided for you, and God says that I'll take care of all your needs. And you begin to walk into the rest of God, where in the rest of God means you don't think about anything. You don't lay in bed tossing and turning and wondering about this, that, or the other thing. You're at a point where you're dead to the natural realm, alive to the presence of God, and you know that at every given moment, he's going to be there for you. 
There is a cycle you go through. That cycle is where you're broken. That cycle is where everything is turned upside down. But in that cycle, you begin to turn over things to God because you don't have a choice. And you begin to live in that realm, trusting God and watching what God has for you. Because God also promised that you would prosper in this world and the world to come. And so you begin to grasp onto that. And that prosperity for us is simply an understanding that God is and he's more than able to take care of our need. Now, if Jesus didn't come into the world, and if Jesus didn't make the decision to give up his life, that would not be the case. Because when he gave up his life, he gave it up for each and every one of us so that we could have an abundant life. An abundant life is really, for me, is one without cares, without worries, without trying to strive or worrying about how much I've got. We've always adjusted ourselves wherever we needed to be. We did not know that we we're going to end, be ending up living the way we did. The last time we were looking for a house, it was a trailer out as far as you could go because we didn't necessarily have the money to afford anything. And then it all flipped around, and God did a miracle in our life with a man that we had known most of our life. And we got blessed, and we're still blessed. And things just started turning around. It had nothing to do with us looking and trying to, you know, want the best of anything. He gave us the best of everything because we gave him the best of what we had. And the whole point of Jesus is dying and making that decision to go by and be crucified on the cross is the very point that he was bringing forth that if you can trust me, I'll love you and I'll do this for you. He gave up his life. He came out of hell out of all this whole thing. He ascended into heaven. He brought the Holy Spirit back into our life. So we know that he, de he de was dead, buried, and resurrected. And now we know we have to come to a place where they're going to deal with him as he is uh, and, and deal with, with his life and the struggle that is beginning, beginning to battle. And again, that's Luke chapter 23. And we'll go to verse... Luke 23, there was a 50 in here the last time I read it. Uh, Luke 23, 50. Okay, there it is. Got it. Okay. It's on Luke 23, 50. We talk about the burial of Jesus. And we, can, we come back to verse 44, the death of Jesus. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. The sun was darkened. The veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, unto thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said that, he gave up the ghost. Now, when Jesus died, his spirit and his soul, which would be our inner man, our real ID, who we are, went to be with God. And so they arose into heaven. Now he's gone, uh, verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together at, to the site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintances and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And I think they placed their whole lifestyle the high risk as being Christians in this man who said he was God. And there he was on the cross. There he was dead. Imagine there's times in your life, in my life, where everything I believed about God just didn't seem to seem like he even cared about me. It was like he didn't even, 
he wouldn't even say boo. You know, it was one of those things. Things were going crazy in my mind. I start battling. I need to go back into the, uh, the business world. I, I, I can take care of my family. My, my, I'm, I'm highly protective of my family. I think most of you know that. And I want to provide, and I want to make sure everybody's going to be fine. And I thought God was ripping me off. I said, what kind of a father are you? You, you, you're supposed to be an example to me. You tell me you're going to take care of all these things, and you're not doing a thing. You're not my greatest friend right now. And so I, I, I thought that he loved me. I thought that what I believed was true about him, but it seemed as if it wasn't. It seemed like he wasn't there. He wouldn't say anything, and this went for long periods of time, and things would happen, calamity, one thing after another, and I, I really, you know, if you want me to be a father like you are, I'm not going any further than we've gone. I can't be like that. And at that point in time, it was like he just hurried down here and solved all my problems. No. <laughs> he even got quieter. <laughs> it seemed like he didn't even know I existed. And I'm sitting there literally crying to God because my family's living in a, a 10 or 12 by 35-foot trailer in an old beat-up gas station, and I'm pumping gas, and I'm, I'm, I'm twisting my ankle about every other month. Harley could walk on it. Sitting out there on one of the things of the gas station, had my little red jumpsuit they made me wear, sitting there just crying because I said, God, this isn't real. This is terrible. And that's after studying the Bible and everything else. I'd seen miracles. That was nice, but there's no miracle in my life right now. And I just thought he didn't care. But what I didn't realize that he was putting me through a fire that I wasn't going to just walk out of at the very end, or I wasn't going to be killed. I thought it was over with. But in that fire, he took us to the highest extent of our ability to stand the pressure. And then immediately, a car dries up. Dan, you're basically sick and tired of what you're doing, Bill uh, McIntosh. You're tired of what you're doing. You need to get back to making real money. And here's how I can get you back to making real money. I want you to come and work as like a vice president with me with this, the company that he had. And I thought, okay. <laughs> but then I had to pray about it. But what that did, at that time at my highest, this is how long were we there? Nine months? Ten months? In that gas station? I'm sorry. Six months? So we were in that thing six months. And so what he did at my highest point of of staying, standing my ground, he brought somebody in the middle of the storm. Pulled up in a nice new car. Dan, you want to take over this company? Actually, I was going to take over a company he had, and he was going to move to someplace. And so when he, uh, we came and I trained, and the place he was moving to was Colorado Springs. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you doing? You shouldn't send him to Colorado Springs. We lived in Denver. We wanted to come back to Colorado to, to, to live in the mountains. We don't want to live here in Arkansas. Uh, and so I thought, oh, well, then I was frustrated again. You turn the thing over to somebody else, and he drives off to Colorado Springs. I mean, I'm real. I mean, he's real. <laughs> you don't argue with yourself. Uh, if, if you're arguing with God, it's because you must believe that he is. <laughs> or it's kind of wasteless. And so, and so, so he moved up here. But he's up here maybe less than a month. And he said, he said, I don't know if you believe in dreams and visions, but I woke up and God gave me a dream that you were here in Colorado Springs with me uh, uh, in two weeks. 
And I thought, you idiot, you know, how can I be there in two weeks? We've got this stuff we've got to pack up. We've got all this stuff. I don't have any money to go anywhere. Didn't have any money to go anywhere. I'd have to, when the gasoline, one guy was offended with me, but when you're through pumping your gas, there was a, lot of ga- a little bit of gas left in each pump, t- each, um, pump. And so I would go over it, whatever's left, I'd take it and put it in a jug, and I'd use it, pour into my car, because that particular night, I was speaking at uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, at some type of full gospel businessman meeting. And I didn't even have the gas to get there, but through taking that and dumping it in there, I had the gas to get there. Now, you go and do stuff like that, but you don't get paid for it. So I also had to have faith to get the gas to get home with. And so that's the way we lived. And so off we went, that, that. And so the next thing, he, and he says, yeah, he says, here's what I'll do. I'll just get a big U-Haul, put the company stuff, and you put in all your stuff too. I'll pay for you. I'll drive the truck and all the stuff up here. And that's the way it started. Then we didn't have any money. We were living with him. And so we had to go out to the garage sale, and we, we had a typewriter. A, what? a flea market, yeah. Went out to the, a flea market. We had no money. And, all, and it cost us, I don't know, five or ten bucks to get in. And we didn't have any. We were selling everything we had because we needed to start. And so we did it. And so we sold our typewriter. And we were broken hearted. But, th- I mean, this is, we're, I'm sitting on, 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 on one particular uh, weekend. I'm sitting next to Kenneth Copeland in Memphis, Tennessee, at a large full gospel ministries meeting. I might as well, this next one, been sitting back out in the trash bin. I mean, it's just like, what's going on? I can't handle this. And I finally got broken. And once we got here, God began to set everything free. But if it wasn't for Jesus doing all of this and dying to himself, I think that's where I got the greatest revelation. When I understood that, and then I saw that Paul said, I die to myself every day. And I began to see that God wanted to work in a resurrected life in my life. Yes, we went through a lot of hard stuff. A lot of you have too. Very difficult stuff. But we have to be resurrected to the point and have our minds renewed to the fact that the Word of God is true and we're going to go forward and be faithful with this. And so as we began to do that, we began to see the hand of God move in our life. We have to be willing, no matter how ugly it gets, and I know a lot of your Bible student, college students, as ugly as it gets, don't panic, don't back up. You know, it's always, I was in the Marines. We never ran from anything, no matter how, I still don't, no matter how ugly it gets, I don't run from anything. I stand, I run at the problem. If I hear a noise, as a bouncer, if I hear a noise, I'm out any place, I'm immediately looking around wondering where the fight is, and I'm running that way. I want to go help, you know. But anyhow, I'm too old for that. Concealed weapon permits are good. Uh, but anyhow, it protects me and my family. All right, so now we're down to verse 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just man. Now, Joseph was pretty interesting. He was a community leader, he was a, man, a member of the Jewish uh, leadership crew, high, highly respected. But he was sitting there watching this whole process, uh, and he was beginning to watch it. The same had not consented to the council and the deed of them. He, he, he did not agree to what's going on. He of, uh, of Arimathea, a, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. He took it down, 
wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher that was shown, hewn out in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation of the Sabbath, uh, Sabbath due on. Now, I want us to go over to um, John chapter 20. So you got uh, Joseph of Arimathea now grabbing Jesus' body, taking it to, to a grave, and uh, getting ready. The people are coming around, and we'll pick this up in, in John 20. Yes, verse 1. Is that where I want? Yeah. Okay, now the first day of the week, Cometh Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene was the prostitute. It's interesting how Jesus works. She was the prostitute that Jesus came, shared the good news of forgiveness, and she got born again in the, in the way of more of an Old Testament covenant responsibility. But she was a believer. And she was the first person that he came and talked to. Isn't that interesting? Where's all the disciples? Where's everybody else? That was, that was Jesus' choice. And, um, and into the sepulcher, and seeth the stones taken away from the sepulcher. So Mary came, it was dark, into the sepulcher, and sees the stone was taken away. You think about that stone, there, and we've been there, I've been there a couple times, but you hear they had this huge stone over the sepulcher, like a little cave into a side of a, a hill, a mountain. And the stone was, was laid out. Now, and you might in your own natural mind think, well, why was the stone laid out? Well, of course, Jesus just got, woke up and came out and pushed the stone away and off he went. Well, no, that wasn't it, it at all. We're going to see a lot more here. And he, she runneth and comes to Simon Peter, to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Now, that was an interesting thing. The first thing they thought about was that the Jews, the soldiers, have come and taken Jesus out of that sepulcher. And when they, when they uh, began to deal with that, there's kind of a, something, I started processing that, and I started thinking, well, let's think this through. All right, now, the res resurrection of Jesus is uh, confirmed by these facts. The empty tomb, tomb, if the enemies of Jesus had taken his body, they would have shown it to prove he had not risen. So if the Jews, they had paraded that dead body all through uh, Jerusalem, showing he, he's, he's not risen. Here he is. He's dead. So that would really eliminate them. However, if the disciples of Jesus had taken the body, they would have never sacrificed their lives and possessions for what they knew to be a lie. The empty tomb, tomb reveals that Jesus did arise and truly was the Son of God. If the existence existence of righteousness, peace, and joy that they had with Jesus was su would suddenly disappear. Because if they're the ones that took him out of that empty tomb, all that they had given up, all that they had professed, all that they had punishments that they had taken would have been a complete hideous joke on them. So first of all, we know the Jews didn't take him because they would have paraded him saying, look what we got here. And the, and the believers wouldn't have taken them because they would have lost the righteousness and peace and joy, and they would totally reject Jesus. They would totally re reject everything that they thought and believed in because now they're taking him, and he did not arise out of that. The empty tomb 
reveals that Jesus did arise and truly was the Son of God. Now, if Jesus had not risen and appeared unto them, they would have never changed from dependency uh, uh, to unheard of joy and courage and hope. They'd have been in despondency. And when we begin to grasp that, they would have never taken the trouble to write about the Messiah and his teachings uh, if his ministry had ended in death and disillusionment. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and his accompanying manifestation within the church that the Holy Spirit was poured forth at Pentecost was an experienced reality and proof that Jesus was alive and well. When Jesus was alive, and it was prophesied that he would, he would come back alive again. So when the whole power of the Holy Spirit, back in Genesis 3, Holy Spirit was taken out of the world because of the rejection. There was nobody there saying he wanted them. He was gone. He went back to the Father. God's beautiful creation that he had made, this wonderful earth and plan, plan that he had to make a wonderful earth for his people to live and have joy and peace, families, all great things was destroyed in that instance around the tree. And when Adam and Eve rejected that God was going to be their leader or the Spirit of God was going to lead, they chose to live their life in their flesh. They didn't want God. They didn't want the power. They didn't want God's blessing upon it. They wanted to do their own thing. And I think when that happened, Holy Spirit left. But the Holy Spirit, according to Hebrews 11, would still come back in and speak to the hearts of people that believed. All, the, all these righteous people, men and women that had done miracles by the power of God, the Holy Spirit or the angel God would come and speak to them. Yet the Holy Spirit didn't have permanent presence in them, and they didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And then that power of the Holy Spirit was kind of left out of, of, of man's own choice. And so the, 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 the Holy Spirit would go back to heaven and then come again in life and show up at Daniel and... and uh, all the old greats of the Old Testament, Abraham, and they would make commissions to him. He'd say, here's what I would commission you. Here's what I want you to do. And then they would do it. They then became believers just by their actions of following him and being obedient. They were not born again. They didn't have the experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when, I, when I, we were in Jerusalem together, there was an interesting sign on the door uh, of... of, of uh, where the, where the uh, sepulcher was. And on that was a little sign that says, he's not here, he's risen. And when you think about that, I mean, that's still today, it's still like that. He's not there. The very fact that that sepulcher had these miracles happen, it was just unbelievable. There's some more going on here. We'll go, John 20, let's go a little bit further. Um, we find then, uh, she ran, Peter went forth, uh, with the other disciple, singular, and came to the sepulcher. So they both, so they ran both together, and the other disciple had outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then come a Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes uh, lie. And the napkin that was about the head not lying with the linen sepulcher, but wrapped together in a place by itself. It's like it's folded up. The, the, the linens that he was wrapped in for the body was just laying there. And the, the, the band that, that he'd have around his head 
was just laying there. And uh, the, the napkin was actually over his face. And so they ran it, and there it was all folded up. That kind of makes you wonder, you know, how, how did he do this? So we come back to the stone. We come back to the grave. And we find that with that stone, nobody pushed it away for Jesus. They didn't do that. The reason the angels pushed it away was not for Jesus to get out, but for Mary and Peter and the other disciples to get in. They would have not been able to get in. And the interesting thing about his cloth, burial cloth there was that it was still laid on, I think it was a stone, if I remember right, a flat stone. And the napkin was laid up where his face was, and it was folded there. He didn't, he didn't run with his clothes. He just left. It's going to be kind of interesting because there's just something about that translation power that starts to get into your heart sometimes because I am looking for Jesus and we're just going to instantly leave because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All right. Um, disciples went again. All right, then in verse 11, uh, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because you have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and she knew not that it was Jesus. This is interesting. I was messing with this this morning. She didn't know that was Jesus. How could you not know that was Jesus? How could you? You messed. You've been together. You've served together. You saw him every day. You followed him around. He redeemed you. And I began to think about that. The reason was he had a new body. He didn't have, he wasn't standing in his old body because our, all our bodies, the flesh nature, is left in the grave because of the sins and the destructive lifestyles they've left could never be redeemed. Jesus went to heaven, spirit and soul. And, uh, and then when he came out, when he came out of that tomb, he had a new body which had all five senses functioning. He wasn't just floating around. He, was, he had the capacity to totally just go through walls. He goes through a door here later on in it, just simply because that's the nature of our new body. That's the way it's going to happen. And yet we're going to be known as we're known here. We're going to know each other because we'll begin to flow in the Spirit with each other. And so, um, and the two angels are there. She said unto him, and verse 14, or 13 and they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said, I'm looking for my Savior. And when she had thus said that, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was him. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Do you think he was really perplexed? I don't know. I think he was just questioning her. Why are you weeping? Uh, whom seekest thou? She's supposing him to be the gardener. This, this gal's really bad. I mean, he's going through this whole process. Now he's a gardener. Yeah, she didn't know who he was before, but now he's a gardener. I can't imagine, I can't imagine what, what, 
what this body would even, it looked like a natural person, but it was so supernatural that all the natural aspects of, of, of us were being demonstrated right there through this new body. So the, the, the soul area of our life, our mind, will, and emotions will be well enough aware that we'll almost be like we are here, but a lot more knowledgeable. All right. And sir, if thou have uh, borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master. Jesus said to her, touch me not, for I am not ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my father and your father. It is and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene's name and uh, came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he had spoken these things unto her. And when the same day at the evening, be, uh, came, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut with the disciples, they all gathered for a meeting. They were assembled for fear, and the doors were shut and locked. For fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto him, Peace be unto you. Now he's going through doors, you know. Locked doors. This guy just shows up. I don't even know what structures are needed. I mean, if I have a body that's not conducive or understanding at all or being affected by anything in the world, why would I need a house? You know, you start thinking, I'm going on. All right, so... Um, and, when he had said, and when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then the disciples glad when they saw Jesus. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent you, even so I send you. Now I want to get over to Thomas in verse 24. Now Thomas came, uh, called Didymus, was not with them. He didn't come to church on Sunday when Jesus came. Uh, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Except I shall see his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I'll not believe. And after eight days again, this disciple was within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, they locked in again, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. It's like he now has come back from heaven somehow, because now they can touch him. Uh, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Jesus had, had every, every concept of touch and understanding. Uh, and then said Jesus, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they which have not seen me, yet have believed. That's who we are. We're, we're the ones who have not seen Jesus, but we believe. It's interesting when we look at that uh, even more. He begins to talk more about what things ought to be done. And if you go back to Luke, we'll go back to Luke 24 again. So Jesus had gone through. He told them they're believers. He's, he's dealing with them with that. He prayed for them. They received the Holy Spirit at this point in time, but it wasn't the spirit of power. They received the Holy Spirit into their life where they had an awareness of who God was, but still maybe locked into Old Covenant understanding. So in Luke, we will find this. He 
in verse, I mean, uh, chapter 24. Okay, 24, 24, or 46. And, here, and Jesus said to them, as you come to the end of it, he's talked to them. These are the words which I speak to you. Go and do these things. Uh, prophesied from the prophets. Uh, and then in verse 46, he says, said unto them, this it is, Thus as it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So now Jesus has gone through all of this. He's now gone into heaven. And now when he went, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. The power of the Holy Spirit was the second uh, blessing that God had for, for the body of Christ. When they were born again, they had an awareness of God. They had uh, a supernatural faith in God, yet in, locked into an, uh, an unsaved body, basically. And they weren't saved until Jesus was uh, born again. Jesus did ascend back into heaven and send the Holy Spirit. When he died on the cross for our sins, went into hell and was raised back into heaven, that's when mankind began to have an awareness being born again of the Spirit of God. So they had this relationship with God. And so what they didn't have was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of power. So Jesus had told them in Acts chapter 1 that they are to go, go and wait until they've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And the Greek word for power is dunamis, and that's miraculous power. And in Acts chapter 2, that power of God, that relationship that Adam and Eve had that they just didn't want anything to do with, came back into the earth. And to as many as believed who God, Jesus was, they then became born again, not by the spirit of the flesh of Adam, but rather by the spirit of God that came within them. And so we no longer, we talk about the old man being dead. The old man was the old spirit of the world that was within us. And it was the spirit that was generated through our families. But when we get born again, we now are a new creation, born again to God. We now, when we are empowered by God, we then see that opportunity to see the power of God begin to move in our lives. And so not only are we born again, we now have power and we're now called to go and be witnesses to the Lord. So when you take this whole thing back to when you were just beginning, living in darkness, receive Christ being born again, dying to yourself, renewing your mind, studying the Word of God, understanding God, begin to believe that the strange ways and the things that He leads us into that seem so, how would I say it in a nice way, damning, basically, like He doesn't love me, I'm a terrible person and all of that, all of those things were bringing, coming into our life 
to cause us to move away from our old nature, our old, old ways, our old thoughts, and then release ourselves to the Spirit of God that's within us so that we begin to move in the power of God and an awareness of God and in a covenant relationship with God. And when we begin to do that, we enter into the rest of God. And we enter, in, enter into the rest of God. We come to that place where without a doubt, we know that God loves us. And we just give ourselves up and just say, Father, thy will be done in our life. Now, I said all this to say all this. The greatest thing I think that, that we can probably really realize that happened uh, when Jesus came into the earth and, and died and uh, was buried and resurrected was John 3.16 came to life, that God's soul of the world, that he gave his only begotten son. And when we believe that, when we truly believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, we, we have this born-again experience. It doesn't mean you got to come down and do this. Uh, being born again had nothing to do with going to an altar for me or reading my Bible or anything else. It was a supernatural experience when we went to a full gospel meeting in Carothersville, Missouri, and some guy was talking about hell and all this stuff, and I just wanted out of that meeting. Uh, that, that I'd had it. Uh, I don't want to hear people talk about hell. I didn't really realize the hell of hell, I guess, you could say, because it, if we're not born again, we're not, not going to go. Heaven is real. Jesus paid the price. And God gave him son, us whose son, and whomever believeth will have everlasting life. It didn't say they had to go to church. It didn't say they had to do that. It didn't say they had to reconcile all the old friends or people that they've violated prior to being born again. If you can believe that Jesus Christ is truly the son of God, then you have an opportunity to be born again. If you've never done that, you say, well, I've read my Bible, don't understand it. I've gone to church. I don't like church. What you need to do is go to Jesus. That's, that's the point, that you must be born again. Our old life now is bad. It's, it's been redeemed. It's now to go forward into our new life, begin to see God's grace and love, how much God really loves you, pours his life out of his, out of his, his son so that we can be forgiven. No matter how dastardly we lived our lives prior to being a Christian, God right, right now wants to redeem you from that. He wants you to be resurrected from that old life, resurrected from those old thoughts, and begin to know him in a special way. You say, well, how can I do that? All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God and gave his life for you. If you can believe that, if thou canst believe, you'll be saved. Meaning God will take you from there. God will begin to give you the power and the ability and the will to go through all of this. Because I, in my own strength, I could have never gone through what I went through, our family went through for that period of time. But in all of that, God gave us the gift of faith that somehow in this thing, we're going to find truth and it's going to be good. And God is going to be who he says he is. And after, since 1973, we've done this and we found it to be true. It's not a storybook. It's a lifestyle. It's not just a book you read every, every now and then. It's God's book to how to live victorious lives. And when he tells you to die to yourself, you don't just shake your head. You begin to wonder, what does that mean? It means you move away from who you were to become who God's now called you to be. I'd like you just to think about that. I'd like you just to think, if this is true, I don't, 
I have to do something. I, 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 I was doing a meeting, a conference in Colorado Springs a number of years ago. I had a young man that said he was an atheist. I said, okay. And so we were talking and everything. I said, are oh, you a really sincere atheist? He says, I said, you mean, I mean, you don't believe in God at all? No, I don't believe in God at all. I don't believe in your God either. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, well, here's the deal. He said, I said, can I pray, with, pray for you? And I said, he started to pray for me. I said, here's the deal, though. If I pray for you and you wake up tomorrow morning and nothing has happened, then there is no God. But if I pray for you, and even though when you go to bed asleep, don't believe it, and you wake up the next morning and there is a God, then I want you to follow him. He stood there and shook his head. So what you're saying is, you'll pray for me. Because I don't believe a God, then I'm going to believe that he's not going to do anything, right? I said, that's right. I said, okay. Well, finally after, it was okay. But then when I prayed, I just turned him over to God, and I said, God, just search his heart. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But, uh, and then he came, he came back the next night to the meeting. I said, man, what's going on? He said, there is a God. <laughs> we, we had a blind man come to our church and talk about God's miracles. I mean, we talking about God's miracles. And we had a conference there, and, and the blind man came, and he came in a car with a number of people. And, and um, uh, he, he came in, and they all got out, and they brought him, and he was, I mean, they were leading him and everything. And so I, I'm sitting there, and they were going to go back to uh, someplace up in the mountains. They are going to go back up there that night. And God said, go tell him to stay three days, and I'll heal him. And he says, I said, well, how's he going to do that? And he says, you're going to pay for a motel for him. That sounds like you, God. <laughs> so um, I didn't go around saying, excuse me, folks, do you have a credit card? You know, but we did it. And the man came, and uh, he came. We prayed for him, and out the door he went. He was still struggling because sometimes it's, you, as you go, you're healed. I've had slow manifestations, but I'm always healed. But anyhow, so it was about six months later, if you remember, it was two months later. So I'm standing out there outside the church, standing talking to some guy, and the car pulls up. And I just kind of look up at the car and didn't think about, about anything about it. And the next thing I see people getting out of the car, and the driver of the car was he, him. <laughs> he said, God healed me, but he said, I cheated. And I said, how'd you cheat? He said, he said well, I went to New Mexico, and they gave me a license. <laughs> so, so I said, well, I'll be honest with you. What's happened to you doesn't mean anything to me as much as those people letting you drive them up here. <laughs> but you see stuff, and you're never in control of any of this stuff. You just see it happen, and you do it. And you just trust God, and you just keep going. It's awesome. It's miraculous. And you get to the point where you never have to fear. You don't have to run around and be scared of any virus, sickness, disease. You don't have to deal with any of this stuff. You just fall in love with God. When our, when our home was over in Mountain Shadows, and they're getting ready to, all the, the fire was over there. I mean, it was horrific. And 200, almost 300 and some odd houses were burnt in that area over that time. And we walked out. We didn't pray any special prayer because we were helpless. I know that when I'm helpless, God's going to be there. And we live in a nice house. And so we just said, Father, we just commit this to you. You're the one that gave it to us. You're the one who will take care of it. And when the, when the fire was over, unfortunately, over 200 homes were damaged all around us. Uh, you go down three, three homes and from that part, all the homes were destroyed. Across the street, homes were destroyed. On this side, homes were destroyed. On the back side, homes were destroyed. Ours was sitting up there. 
And we didn't run around and say, look what God did for us. I felt like that wouldn't be fair. You know, the people that are good Christians that live there. I don't know why it happened, but uh, I just trust God. But it was really neat. So the inspector from American Family came to had to write us a check for all the damage. He was, he was buying new houses, basically. They're all burned up. He went in our house. He says, I can't even smell the smell of smoke in this house. No smell. He said, there's no damage to this house. He said, how did that happen? Of course, Penny chimes in and says, it was the Lord. Uh, you know, so... Um, he says, well, i got to give you something. He says, you're going to have, uh, your windows are smoked up. Are you going to get that fixed? He said, i got to give you something. And I said, I said, well, we can do that. No, no, no. He said, handed us a check for $2,500 and walked out the door. I mean, this is, the, this is what you live in, but it costs you your life because it costs your carnal, fleshly thinking from going forward into the hands of God. And I'll guarantee you that this is true. I spent my whole life studying it. This is true. God is real. And we've lived it. And we've seen him come through every single time. And sometimes it was bad because the direction we were going was bad. But it always has happened miraculously. Never had finance problems, just like with this building. This building's expensive. Never had financial problems. It has paid every single month, only by the good grace of God. I don't know how he does it. I, don't even be, I couldn't even write a book on how to succeed in the kingdom. Uh, I just show up, walk around, and do it. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. Uh, but it's good. Well, let's stand. I'm going to close. You guys are a blessing. You really are. You're supernatural to Penny and I and our family. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. And again, we just want to thank you for the resurrection power of God found in the life of Jesus Christ. Father, we're so thankful for what you've done and how you've blessed us. And that, God, this isn't a story about somebody, but this is a lifestyle that's changing the hearts of multi-billions people, two million Christians, two billion Christians in this world today that are reaching out to you. And I know, Lord, there's like 8 billion. But, Lord, our desire is to be those people that will reach other people so they can find this amazing life, but it has nothing to do with our thoughts, nothing to do with our ways, but it just comes through submission to you. So, Father, we all rejoice in this. Father, we bless, bless you and thank you for all, and thank you for your blessings on all these people and this church that, Father, you've just brought through time after time after time after time. And that, Lord, you truly are God. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Next week, I'll, uh, no, not, I'll, next time you see me, I'll be in my usual attire. <laughs> <laughs>